Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast, where we unpack sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. I'm Bryce Johnson. Hope you're doing awesome today. I am thrilled to welcome back Matt Schick to Unpacking It. He is an ESPN broadcaster, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM. He's been at ESPN since 2012. He does a lot of college football stuff. And so today on the show, we will get into all the big stories in college football. I mean, this has been one of the wildest summers uh, in college football history when you think about the ramifications of name image likeness, conference realignment with Texas and Oklahoma moving. That's just the first domino. So you got to see the bigger picture with all of this and and then the potential for a larger college football playoff, which I am all for. And so we'll get Matt's thoughts on on a number of topics and he's just a great guy, family man, Great faith, and so we'll, we'll get into some fun topics uh, and then some serious topics as well. And and so you can uh, check him out on Twitter. Uh, his Twitter handle is at ESPN underscore Schick, and you can listen to his radio show Sunday mornings, 10 to 1 Eastern. He hosts College Game Day on ESPN Radio Saturdays this fall. And then co-hosts Big Ten this morning on Sirius XM, Big Ten Radio, Channel 372, Monday through Friday. Before we jump in, let me ask you this. Do you need to get your own health insurance? Well, go to healthmarketgenius.com. Know your options. Healthmarketgenius.com. Support them as they support us. Stick around at the end of the interview. I'll give you some big takeaways and, and some of my uh, feedback from the interview. And so right now, here we go. It's Matt Schick from ESPN with us on Unpacking It. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast. I am thrilled to welcome back a, a former guest here on the show. You, you know him from his work on ESPN, TV, radio. You see him everywhere. He's Matt Schick. Matt, great to be with you. How are you? Good to be on with you again, Bryce. It's been uh, it's been a while. It's been too long. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you and your and your jerseys and uh, your great studio setup. I don't know how you got all that stuff. I could use it. I've got great plain painted walls behind me. I've got a huge studio microphone arm that you can see and a door with a dog trying to get out of the room. This is really what I can afford right now. I love it. No, it lo- looks great. Sounds great. And I know that you're you're feeling great because you just got back from vacation. So how, how did it turn out? Now, four kids, age five to 10, what's, what's vacation like for you? 
Yeah, I mean, it's vacation and it's also some work. There's no doubt about it. Um, you're just trying to make sure the kids are uh, getting along and alive at the end of each day. That's really those are the two things. They're they're fed, they're well fed, and uh, just eliminate any variables that could lead to some sort of complaining. But it was good. We were in Hilton Head for a week, uh, rented a house, rented some bikes. We were, I mean, it was a test for them. We had to, it wasn't just going to the beach. It was biking to the beach. And, and so there was, you know, you get now credit to the five-year-old. All he had to do was sit in a cart. And as I biked him, so I was getting the biggest workout and I started empathizing with my father when he got a tandem bike years ago when I was, I mean, I was probably only 23 at the time, (laughs) but uh, we got the tandem bike and he's pulling me in this bike and, I didn't have to do much work because he never had he never looked back to see what I was doing. So I understood and immediately empathized with him that uh, he was he was working out to get me where I needed to go. Oh, uh, that's hilarious. I think uh, about growing up, my, my dad, he had like a little like a seat just on the back of his bike seat. Like thinking about it, it seems really dangerous. So it sounds like we've moved past that then. It is still an option, though. The seat on the back is still an option. And there were a few of those there that you're just hoping you've buckled them because if all of a (laughs) sudden the bike starts feeling very light as you're pedaling, it's like lifting up a very an empty suitcase that you think is full. You're like, well, for a split second, you think you're the strongest person alive. Then you realize there's a reason for that. There's no child on the back anymore. So, yeah, the cart is much better. They sit back. They're they're just I mean it's got a it's got a foot massager it's got a spritzer it's got TV <laughs> no, it doesn't have all that but it might as well that's kind of where we're at here with kids in 2021. I love it that's awesome so I am on baby watch right now my wife is due basically any day now so uh, so we're going from one to two so you're at four now do, do you remember back when when you you made that transition from one to two and and any wisdom you can share with me today. Yeah, I mean, you, you certainly hear the jokes about man-to-man defense and all that stuff. I mean, you've you've heard all of those, and then you get to three and four, and it's zone, and it's all those uh, types of things. But it's um, yeah, I'm trying to think of from one to two was definitely well. How old is the oldest? Two. Okay, yeah, our oldest was uh, about four months shy, three months shy of two when we had our second. So yeah, you're kind of in that same that same ballpark um it's just i guess the biggest advice i would have is just survive the first two weeks it's boot camp um do what do what you can and make sure bryce i mean this is really the important thing uh make sure that your wife is making you comfortable (laughs) make sure that you've got what you need because it's uh you know there's a lot of responsibility for the father and That's and right. you know this there's a lot of you know waking up in the middle of the night feeding the child all of those things where she gets to sleep so you want to make sure that you're in a good frame of mind mental health is very important so if you could just i would just encourage her to help encourage you and i think yeah. it'd be you know great shape that that'll go over real well. <laughs> Absolutely, gosh. Well, yeah, survive in advance. So that's that's the key. That's it. So that's what I'm hearing. Survive in advance. Uh, no, we're excited. Looking looking forward to it. Well, also fired up, of course, with with football starting up. College pro. You're you're focused on on the college game, and this has been the wildest summer that I can remember for college football because we're all kind of sitting here going, wait, what what what's what's the direction? Where are we going with college football? What what does it all mean? 
So, so what was the maybe the the, the one story that that had you most nervous in regards to you know, name, image, likeness, the the conference realignment, the potential for a future larger playoff, and and maybe which one has you most excited? Oh, the excited one was the the college football playoff expansion because I yeah. think they checked all of the boxes that they needed to check with that, which is improving access because we all know that before the season even begins half of the fbs is eliminated from playoff contention because of conference affiliation history and uh recruiting and and all those types of things things that are really out of their control geographically and, and conference affiliation so that half of the fbs eliminated in august the other half is eliminated by you know the first week of October. And then by the time you get to November, you're talking about eight teams. So I think the fact that the conversation will expand to roughly, I think, 30 teams by mid-November, even the end of November, and you go into championship, conference championship weekend, when we get there, uh, everyone who's in a conference championship game, most of them, especially in the Power Five, will have a shot at making the playoff. And that's good. I, I think when you step on the field and you win a game or you win a conference championship, you want to know what you've earned, not, well, well, I guess we'll go and see what these 13 people think about what we just did. No, it, it needs to be more objective than subjective. So that's what got me excited. Although I think we're going to have to wait a little bit longer for that because of the thing that has me most concerned, which is the conference realignment, what the SEC did with Texas and Oklahoma. And I don't fault either side for that. Um, and, and might we have to wait till 2025 for that to be official? I'm not really sure, but we know that it's going to happen. It's smart for the SEC to include those two programs. It's smart for them to follow the money, and that's what college sports is. And so I think that's what the biggest concern is. Not that these decisions were made, but that it's just becoming so transparent that it is professional sports. And that's what college sports now is. Name, image, and likeness is a part of that, which I think is good. Um, but, you know, I, I worry about college campuses that aren't part of the elite, that do need a Texas and Oklahoma to be a part of the conference so that that money can filter down. And I'm as capitalist as they come, but I, I certainly struggle to uh, to recognize the fact that Hey, it's survival of the fittest in a lot of ways. And that's that's really too bad because I think there will be a trickle-down effect in college football. These these college campuses uh, identify the, – these campuses are what keep these small college towns afloat. They're, they're the identity of that. You start taking away money from those campuses, it trickles down to the city and student-athletes and all those things. So I think the, the law of – the unintended consequences are going to be something that we may not know for – 10 to 15 years, but I'm a little concerned about where college athletics is headed and where it's been headed. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fascinated by that as well. The unintended consequences for, from all of these things. And, and so for me, selfishly, I'm a, I'm an app state grad. And, and so specifically for teams like that, that, you know, have made the jump or, you know, teams like Marshall and Boise state and, and teams that really have become consistent college football programs, that, you know, crack the top 25 and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, where do you see those types of schools play out? Now, to me, those teams are different than teams like Vanderbilt or Kentucky mm -hmm. or teams in bigger conferences that are you know lower on the, on the in the standings, I guess. Yeah, I, th I think of those kind of programs like in the MAC, um, even the Sun Belt and those that, th that need, and, and the FCS programs that need 
those non-conference games with those major conference teams to keep their athletic departments afloat and to help to fund university projects and infrastructure. All of that helps. You take one of those games away and you're taking a million dollars in a lot of ways between half a million and a million, sometimes a million and a half dollars away from some of these smaller schools, which is an entire academic budget or an entire athletic budget for a calendar year that helps fund so many different things. And so removing that to me is very um, scary. I don't, I think those schools will still be okay simply because we're not taking away the number of games in the regular season. I know there's some talk about that. Well, we're expanding this playoff. You need to take a game away. No administrators turning down free money. No. That's what they view it as. And they, they didn't ask the student athletes when they a- added it from 11 to 12 about 15, <laughs> 20 years ago. They're not going to ask them, hey, what do you think about adding another playoff game and, and extending the season that way? So I think you're still going to have those hole- holes to fill. The, the problem comes when maybe conferences come up with scheduling agreements and now there's really on, only one hole on their schedule to fill for one of those lesser conference teams. That That's where you get a little bit concerned. And yeah, to, the App State, you know, making that move, where are they going to look 10 to 15 years from now in the rearview mirror and go, you know what? We can't win national titles, but we sur- we get to go to a bowl every year. Well, when, what does that mean? Moving forward, what does the bowl system mean moving forward? Those are really questions that uh, people that get paid a lot more than me are going to have to reckon with. That's right. A lot of of your bosses figuring that out. A lot of those ESPN games for sure. Well, I I guess we're a ministry for sports fans, so I'm always thinking about it from the, the fan perspective. And so... When you're doing your your show on you know the Big Ten this morning on Sirius XM, Big Ten Radio, and you know you're you're talking to college football fans and, and all that sort of thing. With all these changes, do you, do you find there is more kind of energy and excitement uh, about college football, or or do you see things bubbling up where diehard college football fans are going, I don't like this direction, and and even people leave. Like I'm I'm done I'm done with college football. Has it gotten to that point yet? What would get us to that point? What's kind of your your pulse on on all of that? I think because of the pandemic, we're just eager to get going. So I don't think we're there yet, but I can see it headed to a place where, you know, for instance, the SEC continues to win these uh, championships and, and competing for it. And this population drift is what it is. I mean, the people are moving south. That's not changing. It's not like the NFL where you finish poorly and you get a number one pick and that helps with parity. You finished last one year, you can win the division the next year. That's not how college sports works. So I, I think people will still be interested in the games and still go to the games. It's about the casual fan that, you, that you're always worried about. Those are the fans that you need to capture. And so when, like us at ESPN or any other company, when you have Texas and Oklahoma entering the SEC in a few years, wherever that may be, you become even more SEC-focused. How do you, even though those are where the best teams are, year in and year out, where most of the talent lies and the population lies for college football and those who care the most about it, how do you continue to make sure the Midwest is included, that the Pac-12 and out West is included in your conversations that have to do with sports? You can't keep talking about Alabama and, and Florida all the time and Auburn and Clemson and, and Oklahoma and Texas 
you know, you, you have to include others in your conversation. And ESPN, we drive some of that narrative. So I think that's going to be a challenge moving forward is how do we do that? That's where I think the expansion of the college football playoff comes in, which the sooner that gets here, the better. That's going to force us to to open up and broaden the conversation and discussion a little bit and include more teams because that is what that is what is healthy for the sport. Expanding the playoff has never necessarily been about crowning a different champion. It's about making it more inclusive instead of exclusive so that a sport that's becoming more and more regionalized but can become a true national sport again because I think there is a danger of people checking out, um, especially midway through the season, if their team doesn't have a chance. That's right. No, that makes a ton of sense. That's a good perspective. And, yeah, I'm with you. I can't wait for this college football playoff to – actually come together and, and happen the, the sooner the better for sure well all right so we're talking uh sports here on the show and and talking you know college sports but what's better than youth sports so <laughs> so you were you were coaching uh your kids this this spring and summer so what what sports were those and 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 what was your kind of coaching strategy approach and experience like it was Really good. Uh, one of the, I guess it was, there were a few benefits of COVID, uh, but one of them was being able to be home more often, uh, not traveling as much. I used to never be able to coach. I used to watch my kids' games on FaceTime and oh, whatever. Man. And my wife, Kelly, uh, she would be at the park and I'd say, hey, I'd get the FaceTime call from my hotel in, in Connecticut. And they'd, she'd say, hey, uh, Cullen's up now. And so I'd watch and see how he'd do. And it, there's nothing worse than watching your kid through a screen. Um, and so that allowed me this past the last 12 months, allowed me to say, you know what, I'll coach because I think I'll be home a little bit more often. So we have four kids. Um, they are 10. Uh, boys are 10, uh, 7, and 5. Girl is 9. And... We encouraged our five-year-old. He just turned six, actually, this week on August 2nd. We encouraged him to not play the coach pitch baseball uh, this year just for selfishly so that we could not miss all of the games because oh, nice. someone's got to transport the kids. So he was our sacrificial lamb uh, for <laughs> this baseball season. But I got to coach uh, my 10-year-old in his kid pitch league and in the machine pitch league with my seven-year-old. And then I, uh, and then I got to assistant and kind of volunteer coach with my daughter in softball and she used to play baseball as well. So it was really cool to see. And I will say that our, our seven-year-old, I was the head coach of that team and it was the first time really being the head coach. And I'd been an assistant for a long time. And so you're, you know, you're doing practice schedules and trying to make kids happy and just, and then you realize, like, you care a heck of a lot more about this than these kids do, right? Like, we got to the championship. Oh, we wow. lost that championship. The kids are goofing off afterwards. And I probably didn't sleep for a week because I kept thinking about, man, if I would have just put Aiden uh, in this spot or I would have, man, if I would have just said, hey, hit a ground ball, don't hit into this double play, we could have won. Like these kids don't care. It's pool time, man, and they all got a runner-up trophy. And so oh, they love they, it. They didn't care. They can't read. They all can't read. They don't see, see that it says championship runner-up. Whatever. It's it's a five-dollar <laughs> trophy. They're swimming in it. They're loving it. So I think you know it was interesting because it does teach you about you see how a lot of different parents act. Oh right? yeah, and how they react. Character isn't about how you act. It's revealed in how you react to situations. What's your knee-jerk impulse? response to a certain outcome or instant and it took a lot of restraint 
to not pipe up and say something. I'll calm down people like just relax. This is, these are kids are seven and eight, a parent chirping at me and me trying to just, I was the diffuser, right? Like my wife's into essential oils. She's got diffusers all over the house. (laughs) I am the diffuser at ball games as a coach where I'm, I'm trying to be cordial to the other coaches and make sure that, you know, yeah, we all want to win, but there's seven and eight. Let's just have a good time. And um, so I think that was a real revelatory. And at the end of the championship game and, you know, we're applauding the other team. And one of the other coaches came up to me uh, on the other team and said, he goes, man, I've watched you coach this year. He goes, you have the patience of Job, man. Wow. He goes, and, and, and it's and to hear that be said mm. when you're hurting cats most of the time and you're watching, you know, your son make a play here, make an error here and trying to coach and make all these kids happy. But at the same time, coach them and be firm, but not take it as life or death. And to hear another coach say that, I said, OK, we're trying to be an example out there. You're trying to use this as not just a, a volunteer job, but as a, maybe a ministry opportunity yeah. to show that, OK, there's something different about this person and this coach. And, and he was a fellow Christian as well. And that that was reaffirming that, okay, I guess we're doing okay. The outcome, the eternal outcome has been decided. Let's just make sure we're not making this, you know, <laughs> this outcome of this game between seven and eight year olds, the end all be all. Cause it's not. Oh, that's a tremendous approach. And, and I love that too, because oftentimes when, you know, people coach and you, you view it as an opportunity to reach the kids, impact the kids, be a leader and, and a mentor potentially to, to the kids the impact can can be on the crowd it can be on the on those parents and and so there's there's tons of opportunity there so i i, I appreciate that uh kind of mentality on that so um i don't know when you got into it what your what your thought was when you said hey i'll be the the head coach how different was it from what you expected the the season to be like to kind of what it what it ended up being yeah it was um i didn't think i would care as much as I did, like you try to just guard your heart about it, whether it's outcomes or with each given play and come on, get the ball in. And because when the opposing coach or opposing parents raise the level to a nine or 10 because of their emotion, you have to fight every fiber of your being to not reach that same level. All it takes is one or two people. You've seen it at sporting events with kids. And as your kids get older, you'll see like, the parents can really make the season or ruin the season. Yep. It's not necessarily about the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have a kid or two here that misbehaves or is kind of a jerk or whatever. It doesn't have good body language, no matter what age, whether they're seven or 15, that happens. But a lot of the times the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree and you can see, okay, I can see his behavior is because of that person. I'm kind of connecting dots here. And so I just wish I, I think I come away with it with it's awesome to care about how well your kid does, but also to maintain the perspective that there are so many more important things than whether or not that run scored from third or not, or whether or not that um called that play out at first. And uh, th- that was a, that was a challenge and it only, and it gets worse, right? Like these are six, seven, eight years old. And you get parents going back and forth in this and you just sit back and go, okay, I'm kind of kind of connecting dots about what's going on in in society here and social media and why we're all fighting because, hey, we just want to have a good time right No, Not not all of us. Some of us really want to win. 
<laughs> no, it's it's great to hear, and I I hope to coach one day. So that'd be that'd be fun. I used to coach swim team, so that was I I had kids <laughs> age six to eighteen, and all the parents in between. So that was always an adventure too. But um, but that's good. Uh, that's good. Good stuff. On the good on, thing about the swimming though is yeah. like when they're underwater, you they can't really hear you, right? So especially in the breaststroke, it's you got to oh, yeah. time your yells. Time it right. That's right? it. Exactly. Oh man. I'll never forget this one dad. He would run up and down the sideline. Go Amanda, go, go Amanda, go the whole time, the whole <laughs> up and down. It was great. Um, so, so the last time we, we talked, it was kind of right as the pandemic began, it was about in, in April. And so we were still trying to figure everything out. And so I'm curious for you, just as you look at this, this last year, and in many ways things are, are continuing, but but I know for me, it's there have been so many challenges and ways that I've I've grown in my faith and seen God move and and, and areas I'm struggling in and, and trying to figure things out and um you know the pandemic's part of it life just in general is part of that as well. But but for you, what are some things that maybe have 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 bubbled up? Some some things you've been studying, learning, experiencing uh, that that you can share and maybe be an encouragement to to some of our listeners today. Yeah, I think um, at the beginning of this calendar year. Uh, I've got a couple of pastor friends who I met uh, through Campus Crusade back in the day. That's how I met my wife, actually, 21 years ago in San Diego on a summer project. She was at St. Cloud State. I was at the University of Colorado, and we were one of two of 95 college kids from all over the country who gathered in San Diego for uh, nine weeks. And we met a few years later, got married. And what you learn is about treating your job as a ministry opportunity, treating uh, every interaction you have. Uh, as something that could have an eternal consequence or eternal purpose. And I, I think the biggest challenge for me is, and and has been and continues to be, is when you have such a visual medium, sometimes judge yourself on, you know, what you judge your status on what either shows you're doing or what games you're calling or what what you're being asked to do or frankly sometimes not asked to do and that is where sometimes you find your your legacy right i want my legacy to be this or when i'm when i'm dead i want people to think about me as this and i left my mark here and, and i think what you come to realize is that you know, even the most famous broadcaster, when they if they die, as soon as they die, will grieve, get a hashtag going, and then after a couple of weeks, they'll be forgotten. Mm. Uh, but the lasting impact and legacy that you truly have is with those that are immediately around you. And so, going back to the last twelve months and getting into coaching and just creating memories for for my kids, and you know, like I've been reading uh, at the beginning of this year. Uh, getting back to the reason that I brought up where I met my wife is that two of the guys that were on that project became a few of them became pastors. And one of them sent me a, Hey, here's a Bible in 365 days and, and how to get through it because I've never read every single chapter and every single verse. And cause you, where do I go? Do I start here? Do I start there? And so uh, he sent me this thing that allows you to chart it out and kind of complimentary versus here, chapter here, things that go together in the old and the new. And so I've been doing that since December. And I guess we're in July, so I'm halfway through it. And I'm kind of halfway through the Psalms as well. And one of the Psalms talks about with David about, and this is this is a guy who is after God's own heart, right? He was a, a favored son, but he could do a lot wrong. And one of the things that he talked about was like in Psalm 86, he, he prays, give me an undivided heart, Ooh. an undivided heart. 
And when you have four kids, a wife, a job, activities, transporting them from game to game, making sure they're fed, going on vacation, do all this, how do you get an undivided heart? Mm. And that is something that is really hard to do and something only God can do. And so that, I would say that's something that I am continually praying about and striving for is getting an undivided heart, meaning start, start in the most important part, um, God, his word, prayer, praise, all of those things, and let that spill out. We talked about the trickle down effect with college football and, and all those things. Let that be the trickle down to every other aspect of your life. Cause so many things are pulling at you for attention whether it's your need to have attention uh, at work or from viewers or listeners or how many clicks you have, how many likes you're getting on this tweet or retweets and Facebook posts, engagement, all of those things, when in reality, start with engaging with God and let everything spill out from that um, and not worry as much uh, about those things. Because, you know, when it's all said and done, the legacy you leave is going to be with those immediately impacted by your existence, which are those you wake up with and interact with um, closely on a daily basis, not necessarily those that watch you from afar. And so those are things that that I continually try and, and think about and, and pray about to keep a level head. Because in, in this business, you can really get lost in the need for praise, adoration, attention, mm. and, and all those things that go along with it when the reality is that is not important and that has not the the legacy that that truly matters man no that's that's strong and and so uh going back to the 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 bible reading um yeah what what has that experience uh, been like cuz i know guys listening they probably can relate to that to say hey i've never read through the whole bible i'm going through it in a kind of a different way i'm i got about 2 months left but um, but, but what, what has it kind of that discipline of it and kind of reading it in a, in a different way than it sounds like the way that you've read it in the past where you, you know, take a chapter here or there and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, um, it, it really helps understand certain context. Like, you know, when David is going through his life or death experiences with Saul and running for his life, then it takes you to the Psalm. Here's what he was writing during that time. Here's what was on his heart during that time. Um, here's what was written in First Samuel, and here's the same thing in First Chronicles or Second Samuel. Like those things that are written at different times, but have similar messages. Where we talk about the Gospels being, um, you know, the, the the four Gospels written at different times, and and they have similar messages. Uh, and sometimes identical messages, the same is true in the Old Testament, which I wasn't necessarily uh, aware of as much as this is helping me get through that. Like, for instance, you'll, it'll say, uh, like on the schedule that I'm looking at here, it'll say, hey, th today you're going to read Second uh, Samuel 19 through 21, and tomorrow you're going to read these four Psalms. You're like, well, why would it take me there? Well, it's because those were either written at the same time or have a similar similar message. Sometimes it takes you through the New Testament, sometimes through the Old Testament. I think one of the biggest challenges is when you say, hey, I want to read the Bible. Okay. Then you open it up. Sometimes you do it aimlessly. Mm. I'm the kind of person that needs some direction, Yeah. Uh, but you'll open it and you'll read, okay, do I read a couple of chapters here? What did I learn? But when you can bounce a little back and forth, 
because no disrespect to the Old Testament, there's some real grinding that happens. It's like two days in football. Where you're reading <laughs> going, what did I just read here? And how is it relevant today? Yeah. When you can complement that with something in the New Testament, I think that's really advantageous. So yeah, this thing has been really good. And I guess this week it's going to take me through the Psalms and First Kings. I'll bounce in the Proverbs and get back to the New Testament soon. So yeah, I, I need... I need itineraries. I need rundowns, right? I need to, right. you need to tell me what we're talking about on the show uh, and how we're timed out and then I can prepare for it. So it's good. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, I love it. And, and even as you're, you mentioned, you're kind of alluding to the, the idea of performance as, you know, as a broadcaster and there is an element to that. Um, and I can, you know, just relate to a lot of what, what you're saying. Um, but, but how does that compare even to viewing Bible reading as a performance too, where you get caught up and you, that's your mindset where it is a little bit more of a to-do checkoff versus experiencing God, enjoying that. And then even with, yeah. you know, with, with broadcasting, uh, maybe similar parallel there that I don't know if you can connect that at all. Well, it's uh, you, you don't want it to be like broadcasting. It's your job, but you also have to find joy in it. Mm. can't just be something that, okay, I clocked in, I clocked out, I'm paying the bills. There there needs to be some sort of joy in it. Sometimes you can find that joy by doing it for God, honoring God in the way that you do your job, and that can be help you do that as a ministry opportunity. That has been a challenge with, as you read through God's Word, you don't want it to be, you want it to be a delight rather than a duty, right? Like checking it off, saying, okay, I, I did this. Now I'll pray for a minute. All right, now I'll check Twitter. Right that, that that can be a that can be a stumbling block as well. And so, yeah, I'm with you 100. percent That um, you don't want it to be necessarily become your religion of here's my here's my way of getting to God. Try and view it as this is how God is reaching me. And you know, remember, God plus whatever is unnecessary. Jesus plus. There's no plus there. You shouldn't feel obligated. It should come from the joy of the grace and mercy that we receive on a daily basis that you do that. And so I think perhaps helping others and myself get into the mindset of reflecting on God's gifts before even diving into the word so that it doesn't feel as much of a a duty and obligation as a job as much as it is just a natural response to the grace that that you're given Um that you truly don't deserve, which is what grace is. Amen. Amen. No, that's awesome. And yeah, just preparing our hearts to before diving in. So that yeah. then, yeah, we do have that, that right perspective and, and right heart uh, perspective. So yeah, good stuff from, from Matt Schick here on unpacking it. And, and man, it's always, always great having you on the show and, and appreciate your insight and encouragement. It's been very uh, encouraging to me. And I know it, it is to our listeners as well. And so I guess a final thought, is there a college football team you're, you're most intrigued by or a storyline that you're most intrigued by? We're sitting here at the beginning of August uh, heading into the, the, the 2021 season. Yeah, I think there's a, a couple. One is just the conference realignment aspect of this. Who's going to be moving and shaking? Who's going to be attempting to pluck a team from another league? I'm a Colorado Buffalo alumni. What does – where do they go? Do they stay in the Pac-12? What does the Big Ten do? Do they try and get Kansas? Or does, do people just stand pat now and see see how that all plays out? So I'm I'm intrigued by that. In terms of specific teams, I'm intrigued by North Carolina. 
Mm. Uh, there, there are a lot of national pundits expecting huge things from North Carolina. I just wonder if they're a little out over the skis with an over under of 10 wins, right? Like that's, that's a lot of wins, but you look at their schedule and you go, you know what? It's hard to see a lot of losses there with, with Sam Howell. Yeah. You lose uh, Deami Brown, a couple good, really good running backs, but Mac Brown has recruited to a level where, especially in the trenches, you get those number four, number five star guys, and you put enough of those recruiting classes together, especially up front, you get to be able to compete a little bit uh, with a Clemson who they might see at season's end. And so I think North Carolina is intriguing. I think Iowa State is another team that returns back a lot of folks. Uh, NFL pick at quarterback, NFL pick at running back, NFL pick at tight end that all decided to come back and could give, you know, could have a nice little revenge tour for Oklahoma and Texas this year, revenge for leaving eventually the big 12. So that whole dynamic with the big 12 and how Oklahoma and Texas are treated and maybe what Iowa state can do this year. I think that's a, that's an intriguing, uh, an intriguing storyline. Yeah. Big time. Oh yeah. The fans in the stadiums this year, that's going to be, that's going to be fun to see just to, to have them return. And then Specifically in the Big 12. Gosh, yeah, that'd be wild. Well, Matt, man, really appreciate you, you being a part of the show and enjoy the the upcoming season. And we can, we can find you on Sunday morning, ESPN Radio, 10 to 1. Uh, also, College Game Day, ESPN Radio, on Saturdays during the fall. And, and then you're the, the co-host on, on Big 10 this morning, Sirius XM, Big 10 Radio, Channel 372, Monday through Friday. So uh, keep up the great work, Matt. Always love having you on and, and, and love seeing you on uh, on ESPN and hearing you as well. So thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Bryce. God bless. Always good to be on with you, man. Anytime. All right. I appreciate it. There's Matt Schick joining us here on the Unpacking It podcast. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. Great stuff from Matt Schick, other than his uh, advice for me having a second child. Uh, <laughs> that was funny. Um, that caught me off guard. I'm like, wait, what? What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to make sure my wife takes care of me? Yeah, that'll go over real well. Um, so, yeah, he's got a good good sense of humor, little little sarcasm, uh, fun fun guy to have on the show. This is the third time we, we've had him on Unpacking It. So, uh, so great to have him on. He actually lives in Charlotte, and I've yet to meet him in person. So that will hopefully happen uh, here soon. Uh, but, but glad to, to have him a part of the show. And, and a couple of major takeaways, great takeaways. The, the undivided heart. When, when he was talking about that, I mean, that is just so simple, challenging, and that's the goal. How, how do we live with an undivided heart? Because let's face it, you know, the, the heart is kind of this thing that's like, wait, what does it mean? I, even even little Maddie, as I try to describe to her, yeah, you got you have a heart. Well, of course you got a beating heart, and then you got what what do we what what does a heart mean? Um and so I think it's it's important that we actually think about that and consider that. And it's just it's who we are, it's the the core. And then I I've read books on the soul too. So it's like the soul and the heart, and it, it's these abstract yet important things for us to grasp and, and understand. But I think when it comes to the to the heart, the command is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and so that's a committed, undivided heart, all about God. But what happens is we're, we're divided in our affections. 
you know, what we love, what we care about, what we think about, what we're drawn to, our desires. And so we get divided. We, we, we chase the, the world and we get caught up in the world. We get caught up in the, the, the stresses of life, the, the things that we love in life that, that end up replacing God. And, and so, you know, what does it look like to have an undivided heart and, and to, to seek the Lord each day with all we have? And, and, and it is tough because there's so many things pulling at us, but, but I, I love that, that term, undivided heart, uh, to really focus on that, think about that. So uh, I, I hope that, that we can all do that and, and consider that and, and look up some verses along with that as well. Um, and again, you know, to, to love God with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, so, so crucial and, and, and powerful when we actually live, live, that, live that out. And, and then the other thing you're talking about, you know, reading the Bible in a year, and my encouragement to all of us today is, you know, come up with a, a strategy and plan that suits you that is going to get you in the Word. So whatever that means. Sometimes you have to remove the burden of, oh, I'm trying to finish this in a year. And then other times, you need to push yourself and challenge yourself. Yeah, I'm going to read for, I'm going to read this year. You know, I got guys that train for a 5K, 10K, marathon, whatever, and so they, they discipline themselves to, to do that. Um, and so, you know, there, there's value in that when it comes to, to reading the Bible. Uh, but like we were talking about it, when it comes to performance or checking off a box, and then we're not really enjoying reading the Bible, we're not getting anything out of it, we're just reading it to, to be done with it. I don't think that's the goal. I don't think that's the answer either. So, again, you got to check your heart. <laughs> you know, where is your heart at uh, in, in, that, in that goal, or, or is it, a disciplined thing that that you're seeing fruit in your life, and in some ways you're you know you're, you're really motivated. Hey, I gotta I gotta read this amount in order to stay on track. So that's a great thing. But I do think finding the right reading plan for some, it's you know reading straight through the Bible. You want to kind of have an understanding of here's where the Bible goes. You know why Genesis is here and Revelation at the end and start to finish. Uh, for you know different plans, it's it's a little bit uh, like one proverb a day. A little bit of a of a psalm each day, and then New Testament, Old Testament, or you go, yeah, chapter here, chapter there. These go together. So anyway, find something that that works well that you're going to be excited about. You're going to grow, and ultimately, you're in the Word and you're experiencing God and you're knowing God. That's what we want to do. We want to know God, experience Him in a personal, intimate way, and and He's given us His Word. It comes alive. It is living. It is. It, it, it penetrates our heart, uh, back to the heart, and and so uh, we got to open it up. We got we got to dig in uh, for sure. And then reading things that that complement the Bible that help us understand the Bible uh, is also crucial because, like he was saying, there are parts in the Bible that that are difficult for us to understand, and and without some commentary or some other books to complement it, uh, it makes it even even trickier. And then the other thing is going through the Bible with other people. One other person in a Bible study, you know, a lot of different options. So the encouragement is uh, let's keep diving in, into the Word uh, one way or another. And then lastly, Matt talking about coaching and sports parents. Now, this is something that we'll probably talk more about over the years and at and, and different times because it is such an important topic. And for us as sports fans, you know, we're passionate about our favorite NFL teams and college football teams and all that. And then we we translate some of that fandom into watching our kids. And and so now all of a sudden we we either 
want them to be like the athletes that we watch or as crazy of a fan as we are watching on TV, we then bring that to the baseball field or the basketball court and we're yelling at six-year-olds. Uh, now, I only have a two-year-old, so I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm anticipating the direction that I'm heading uh, if I don't, if I don't you know, watch it and, and prepare myself uh, <laughs> before. Because uh, I, I don't want to be that guy. I, I, I want to coach. I, I love coaching. I've, I've done it just as a 20-something. Actually, I was even younger than that, coaching swimming. Um, I've coached basketball. So I, I love it. It'll be fun to, to do that if Maddie wants to, to play basketball or soccer or whatever. If she does play softball, I won't, I won't co- coach that. I won't coach volleyball uh, just because those aren't my sports. I'll let somebody else do it. But um, but if she does, you know, something else, that'd be fun. So, but it's a good reminder with Matt talking about it. Are we one, if we're coaching, what do the, what do the other parents see in us? And are we representing Jesus as a coach? Are we a light in that world, in that sports world, especially if we're playing rec leagues, uh, in a non you know church league? Well, especially in a church league, we better, <laughs> we better be representing well, but I think the opportunity in a rec league is, is is a great one to step into those situations where, you know, families aren't connected to, to God or to church or to faith. And um, they're looking, searching, wondering, and then they see a family. Wow. What's different about that family? What's different about that dad, that coach, that, that kid on the team. Um, that's a, that's a tremendous opportunity. And just the reminder that people are watching, whether it's sports or work or wherever, we just have to constantly be reminded that people are noticing and wondering What's that guy all about? I think he said he goes to church. I think he said he's a Christian. Man, there's he's got a joy, a peace. There's something about him. Um, but let's be those kind of people that that people people look to, and and it gives us an opportunity to then share our faith and and encourage people to say, yeah, Jesus has changed my life, and he continues to change my life. I'm growing. I'm I, I deal with my own struggles, but I'm I'm seeking him, and and he's the reason that I have joy and peace, and the reason that I'm not yelling at these six-year-old kids in a you know negative demonstrative way now I think you can you know be a good coach and and keep kids in line and discipline and all that sort of thing it goes back to parenting too um so yeah th- th- there's a lot there's a lot there but uh I think I think we all know the difference there's a difference between loving kids well coaching well holding them to a you know a good standard and hey we're, we're out here to win I don't think it's all about just just participating, but when they're six, seven, eight years old, that is part of it. But the sooner we understand winning and losing, and that losing is okay too. I think I'm so competitive; it's like, oh, losing is never a good thing. But I was just at lunch today talking about a failure, uh, just a decision that didn't work out. You know, thought it would go a certain way, it didn't. Ah, man. But I'm thankful that I tried. And so I think that that's part of playing sports, where yeah, you lose. Man, I'm glad we went out there. We tried. I don't want to continue to lose. I don't want to lose again. I'm going to do whatever I can not to lose again and learn from the loss. But but I think there's there's value in that. Whereas when when kids go out and play and hey, you're just playing for fun, you're missing out on the lessons learned from losing and the lessons learned from winning and knowing how to have humility when winning. So again, it's something that that I could talk a lot about and and I'm passionate about. But at least wanted to mention that based on. Uh, some of the comments Matt made, I thought I thought, I thought he has a good perspective, some cool things to think about. So those are my big big takeaways just uh, off the cuff as I, I like to wrap up this podcast uh, just to, to hang out with, with you, a listener, a little bit longer and uh, unpack what our guest has to say. So there you go. There's Matt Schick. Uh, great stuff from him, ESPN. Watch him, listen, enjoy, 
and I appreciate you being a part of the Unpacking It podcast today. Uh, I'm on baby watch, so uh, we'll, we'll keep you keep you posted on baby number two. Uh, but but in the meantime, enjoy the uh, the live podcast, our fantasy football podcast. Go check that out. Uh, it's in a separate feed in Apple Podcasts. So search Fantasy Football Fellowship. Uh, and if you haven't signed up for one of our leagues, be sure to do that as well. But thanks for listening. I'm Bryce. I'm a sports fan who follows Jesus. I believe in the good news that he died on the cross for my sin. He was resurrected. And through faith, I've been saved by his grace. I hope that is true for you as well. And I hope you'll join me as we live life as sports fans who follow Jesus together. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Unpacking It podcast. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackingit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week.